Gracious Lord, thank you for the roots that you have dug for us in your holy word and the way that you bless and keep us um, by your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would um, bless our time together now. We pray that we would continue to stand fast in your holy word and that you would make our roots go deep in your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, roots of faith. Previously, we've talked about the rootlessness, that as human beings, we need roots and that the church has those roots in our son. Yeah, there's handouts. Make sure Mitch gets one there. That's it. We talked about uh, how the lie that work makes you free, makes you acceptable to God, that sola gratia crushes that. Talk about sola fide, that uh, we are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We simply receive from God. Talk about sola scriptura, that we put scripture, very fitting with the Reformation Day, above reason and experience and emotion and tradition. All these things have their place, but it's subservient to God's holy word and that we cling to him and hold fast by faith. He's the vine, we are the branches. <clears throat> so also, last week we talked about baptism, the gift of baptism, how God uh, unites us to his son through water and the word. Now today, continuing through, so we looked at the invocation, the beginning of the liturgy. Uh, this week we go to the next part of the liturgy of confession and absolution. So this is always the first part we call the service of preparation. We go right into the confession and absolution. Incidentally, we didn't do it today in worship because we had a baptism. And I didn't explain this, but the rubric, which is like kind of the stage directions for the pastor, um, says that on Sundays when you have a baptism, to not to do confession and absolution because every baptism is a reminder that Christians have already died and been raised with Christ. And so, in a sense, to watch that, to um, you know, participate in that spiritually is to kind of uh, be reminded of the absolution, the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. I find that kind of interesting. But it's always there, week by week. And it's either like one of the most important, significant parts of the service or a part that grates on you to no end. And I have encountered Christians... Um, both ways, through the ages, who've, uh, through the ages, through my years as a pastor, I haven't been a pastor that long. <clears throat> I've said, ah, you Lutherans, you do that confession and absolution every week. One guy I talked to, true story, he said, that's the problem with you Lutherans. You do confession every single week. I said, why is that a problem? He's like, well, now you're just making people feel guilty when they haven't sinned all week. And I'm right, exactly, Rachel. That was my reaction too. Like, bro, we need to talk a little bit. Um, which week is this now? Like, uh, but the, I think sometimes there can be that perception. Like, if I'm just good enough and I'm faithful enough, then maybe I might have a week where I don't sin. Spoiler alert: That's not going to happen this side of eternity. I don't think there's a day. I don't think there's an hour that we we escape, much less a week. But uh, be that as it may. Confession and absolution is part of their liturgy each and every week. It's an essential part of our Christian faith, not just in worship, but in our daily life. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And to get at it, I want to ask you this. This kind of goes to my catechism lesson, children's message today too. Have you ever done something wrong and gotten away with it? You know, I, I, yeah, you know, I was like, oh yeah, lots of times. You know, like I asked the kids today in worship, so if you live, you, you know, how do you, how do you feel after that? They knew immediately, right? They're like, oh, you feel guilty. Like, even if you quote unquote got away with it, then still your conscience is terrorizing you. So you have this sense of like, oh, 
You can feel that finger pointing back at you. Anna and I just watched the other day, I don't know if we had seen it before or not, but the movie A Beautiful Mind, you remember that one? Uh, with the mathematician John Nash. I mean, it was a fantastic movie. But, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, he has schizophrenia. And so there's these characters who are in the movie who are not real. Um, but in the latter half of the movie, as he's really trying to overcome it, they all turn on him. And they're constantly just berating him, saying, how, how dare you? You know, you would betray me, blah, blah, blah. This is, I mean, that's kind of a picture of what our conscience will often do and what Satan is, is wanting to do, to accuse us, to point out the ways in which we have failed and fallen short. And so what's, one thing that I have observed over the last couple of decades, I would say, is that at the same time that there's kind of a waning of faith and people going to church and traditional things like confession and absolution, there is a rise in websites and apps like this one. This is from a few years ago now, but an anon anonymous social apps provide forum for gripes and gossip. That's what it says. But what you notice is that more often than not, it's not merely gripes and gossip. It's like confessions. So the story goes on, and or this, is, this is from the, the site, one of the sites they mentioned. It says, I admit that I secretly crave attention, so I lie that I have ulcers and that I have gotten surgery on my knees. Another one, I'm quitting in May and I will drive across the country. Something people put on there. Sometimes I secretly wish I would catch my boyfriend cheating just so I'd have a legitimate reason to break up with him. Right? That's the University of Michigan right now with its football coach. They're looking for a good reason. <laughs> These are just a few of the confidential posts on a growing number of social apps that encourage nameless users to post anonymous confessions, gripes, and gossip. These networks, which include Whisper, Secret, Confide, and the forthcoming Rumor, make it possible to share thoughts anonymously with strangers, friends, or friends of friends. Now, why would people do this? Why do you think these apps and these websites have become popular? Feels good. To get it out, right? To get it off your chest. Almost as though like we have this innate human need to confess. <laughs> like you can try to keep stuff bottled up, but it's, I mean, at some point, you know, you've got your pressure cooker, your instant pot or whatever. At some, to at some point, you've got to blow off that. Don't people say that? Like I need to blow off some steam, well, right? Hey, you put the blood pressure sure. monitor yes. on them and watch them and confess, yep. you'd see it go down. You would see it go down. That's exactly right. That kind of gets to, to where we're going. But let's, let's walk through here. I got um, uh, several thoughts here on confession and absolution. I would say, first of all, confession is the discipline of taking responsibility. Taking responsibility for our actions. Psalm 36 says, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart, there is no fear of God before his eyes. Get this. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Isn't that interesting? That he flatters himself in his own eyes. You know, uh, the way that my mom used to uh, convey this is he, she would often say that once you can smell yourself, everyone else has been smelling you for three days, right? Like, we, we, we don't smell ourselves. I've, incidentally, I have couple teenagers in the house now I also have to remind <laughs> them up but we're really good at convincing ourselves that we smell like roses um, others have put it this way that it's like every one of us we've got an inner lawyer okay 
or an inner uh, press secretary, if you will, whose job it is, is always to justify everything that we do. Of course, this happens in marriages all the time. Spouses will do this with one another, right? Why did, why did you do this? I, I always have a perfect reason for why I did that thing I did, whereas you are a terrible person. You know, I think we can all agree. We all have that inner lawyer, that inner press secretary whose job it is to like spin everything. Uh, actually, I have a, a good buddy of mine who worked in the White House for a time uh, as press secretary, as like an undersecretary. And he's like, no, Ryan, I'm like, how do, you, how do you justify when the president says a particularly outrageous thing or action? He's like, no, Ryan, it's the easiest job in the world. Everything he did was right. Everything he says is true. And then you just have to keep that message going, right? If anything, you say mistakes were made, right? <laughs> but when it comes down to it, every one of us has that same kind of inborn sense where we want to, to justify our own behaviors. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, where this is where David has to has, have this come to Jesus moment, if you will, um, for his own actions. So, come to Nathan moment. Yeah, come to Nathan moment. That's exactly right. 2 Samuel 12. Let's see. And in the Pew Bible here, if you've got that, it's on page 263. Can you volunteer to read verses 1 through 6? Thanks, Megan. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and he grew it up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup, and lie in his arms. <clears throat> it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd, prepare it for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Okay, so here Nathan, of course, is telling the story, and I should have given the context here, but you may know. This is right after David has committed adultery with his neighbor Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and he has added sin upon sin because not only did he commit adultery with her, then he worked to get Uriah put to the front arms on their warfare, and Uriah gets killed. So he's essentially doubled down on his, on his sin, which is what so often happens, right? You do run th one thing wrong, and then you're like, well, I could fess up, or I could try to cover it up, which always goes over so well, right? That's what he does. It gets even worse. So Nathan tells this little parable, this story about a little ewe lamb, and David is a little bit thick here, right? Like He's just not quite getting where the story is going. And so he's ready to, to kill this man as the Lord lives. The man who has done this, who has taken that one little ewe lamb, he deserves to die. And then verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man, right? Not you the man, but you are the man. You're the guy this story is about. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? 
And then it goes on, but then go down to verse 13. After all of this, said, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Right. So finally, now, the God's word of law and judgment has come down on David, and he sees clearly, finally. He takes responsibility. I mean, and it's as simple as that. He doesn't need to belabor the point, I've sinned against the Lord. That's what it so often is. So that's the first point, that to, to confess our sins is to take responsibility for them. Number two, then, absolution without confession is delusion. Absolution without confession is delusion. In other words, forgiveness without fessing up is just kidding yourself. Right? You're just kidding yourself. If you're still holding on to those things, if you're still refusing to take responsibility for your actions and what you've done, any kind of forgiveness is going to be like, it's going to be water on Teflon, right? It's just going to wipe right off. It's not going to be able to really hit the mark. We're, it's delusion. We say it in our Confession of Sins, said it today in the liturgy from 1 John 1.8. If we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. No, we deceive ourselves. You're kidding yourself. You're deluding yourself. Um, that's, that's what you're doing if you refuse to own up to what you've done wrong. In which case, absolution, forgiveness can be spoken over you, but it's not going to really sink in because you're refusing to take responsibility for what you've done. So absolution without confession is delusion. Um, does that make sense? I mean, you, perhaps you've experienced this or you've seen this with others too, where they're like, ah, I, you know, I don't have anything... I don't have anything I need to apologize for. I don't have anything I need to, to confess for. Um, and then you can't really have any real reconciliation when that's the case. There's still always going to be that strain there. Yeah, Hans? What, what do you do? You know, you have people coming in and going, well, gee, now I have to think of some sin to confess. <laughs> it's like, right. oh. Instead of being you know, convicted of it, you're like, sure. they come in with a different mindset going, well, I'm not a, really a sinner. Because the next guy. Right. Well, this is where um, the Ten Commandments almost serve kind of a, a diagnostic role, like for, uh, for in medical practice, where the Ten Commandments, like, to, just to go through there and, like, read the Ten Commandments and say, you know, have I really, for instance, honored my parents as I ought to have? Have I called mom every Sunday afternoon like I should, right? <laughs> or have, have I spoken ill of them? Or, you know, Eighth Commandment, don't bear false testimony against your neighbor. Not only did I lie to somebody else, but also, have I done my best to, to honor others' reputation? Have I always spoken charitably, assumed the best of my neighbor? So that's one way that I do uh, for, for somebody who's, who's struggling with this. I mean, this is not a common problem. I think for most of us, a moment's thought will, like, remember the ways, realize the ways that you've fallen short of the glory of God, as we've read today. Um, but if you haven't, or if you're really like thinking, you know what, I have a generic sense that I'm a sinner, but I'm struggling with like the specific concrete ways that I'm failing. I really recommend like, reading the Ten Commandments, think, reflecting on that, being honest with our own, with our own selves. And then Luther would say, if you're still struggling, he'd say, check your pulse, make sure that you're still living. Uh, because if so, then you're still sinning. Yes. Can you bring up the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Like, when the Pharisees asked Jesus what our most important of these. Yes, yeah. Right. When he comes down to like, he breaks it simple. Yep. I think that's what you got to do is like, I treat everybody right yeah. this week. And I've, have I loved God above all else? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you break it down to that, 
like nobody passes. Nobody passes, exactly right. Like you, you look at the Ten Commandments, well, I didn't kill anybody. Yeah. Right. Yep. You, you, can get, you can pass that test a lot easier than Jesus' Correct. Like simplified test. Yes, that's right. And, and if, you, if somebody really wants to push it, that's when we go to the Sermon on the Mount, right. when Jesus says not only, like, if you, uh, not when it says you shall not murder, it also means, well, have you been angry with your brother? Exactly. It's like, ooh. Um, now it's getting real, right? So, absolution without confession is delusion. But on the flip side, confession without absolution is bondage. And you'll see this too. This will happen in relationships where somebody will confess, will say they're sorry, and the other person will be like, eh, I kind of like the feeling of that grudge. Like I'm sort of nursing it, I'm feeding it, and it's sort of ha- I'm happy to have that. I'm not quite ready to let it go just yet. And maybe we'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgive you. I see this with the kids, right? I mean, so they're easy pickings to blame the kids. Grown-ups do it. We're just more subtle in how we do it. Well, you see it with the kids. Where tell, tell her you're sorry. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Tell her you forgive her. I forgive you. You know? It's like, but do you? Um, yeah. Confession without absolution is bondage. So look at Psalm 32. It's another psalm of, psalm of David. And how David professes the feeling of when he knows that he has sinned. And before he's heard that word of forgiveness. A mesquil of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there's no deceit. It's a blessed state to be in. But before that... He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. There's like physical manifestations. Like Jeff was saying, like if you need to confess, it can just be raising your blood pressure. Like only that absolution, that forgiveness and getting it off your chest and having it be taken away is going to lower it. I want to share with you a, a brief clip from the TV show Lost. You remember the show Lost? Some of you watched it. You don't need to have watched it. But suffice it to say, this is a moment when this character finally has gotten to this place of brokenness, and he wants to confess. Okay? And he's confessing to priest. So um, I just show this, and just notice kind of how you, how you feel as you hear what the priest has to say to him. Phil, 
Espíritu Santo. Amén. Perdóneme, Padre. It's just getting good. Uh, thank you for the update. Yeah. Right. Thanks, Adobe. Uh, remind me later. Don't need it right now. Wouldn't it be nice if you could tell us? I'm going to be working these right. hours with actual people. If you could just not. <laughs> Sorry, you guys started over from the beginning, but it's just, it was almost a thing. How's that one for you? He lays it all out there. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. No. (laughs) Nope. Not going to be forgiven. Can't I earn God's forgiveness? This is, again, precisely the sorts of things that really catalyzed and was the impetus for the Reformation. Was this recognition? No, you can't. But, I mean, just the the sadness to think, no, there's nothing I can do. And, oh, by the way, you're going to be hung tomorrow. And the devil's waiting for you in hell. Got a nice spot right in front of you. And he took his Bible. And he took his Bible too. It's like his last Wham! Oh. Being God's word. Yep. Oh, it's just brutal. But suffice it to say, this is what confession without absolution is like. He experiences it keeps us in bondage, right? It's bondage. But 
Conversely, confession and absolution taken together, it liberates the soul to be able to get those things off your chest and then to hear God's forgiving word. That's what we need. Let's go to one of the most famous passages of this, Luke 15. Parable of the prodigal son. All right. So, familiar story, but just notice especially the forgiveness of the father given here. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'll rise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. There's so much about this, this passage. It's so beautiful. But the thing that never ceases to get me is the, um, the son's reaction. So what finally drives the son back home? Hunger. Hunger. You know, he's just, he's down. He's at the end of his rope, right? And there's not any especially, you know, noble aspirations other than like, all right, if I can go back, at least I know I'm going to get three squares and maybe a roof over my head. I'm going to stop hanging out with the pigs for crying out loud. Um, He's just looking out for his own skin, really, but he recognizes he needs help. Just that littlest bit now drives him back. And then the father, as we often point out, the father is evidently looking for him, waiting and watching for him. So then when the son comes back, you have this reaction of the father to the son where there's no sense of like, okay, you're back, but like, are you really? Can we be sure? Like maybe we need to put you on a little probationary period. Make sure, see how you clean up your act. And then if it's really serious, we'll consider letting you back in the household. Instead, you just have this deluge, this flood of forgiveness that comes, like where the son is just like, you know, I imagine him kind of reading his notes, like rehearsing it. Dear father, I I have sinned against heaven and against you. And the father's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm so glad you're back. Like, go kill the fattened calf. We are going to party. Put the ring on his finger, shoes on his, like, it's just a beautiful picture. And it says in the, the Psalms, it speaks of how God's uh, anger lasts for, his, uh, for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. And that's really the ratio of God's forgiving grace. Is like, he's angry for a moment. It's like, ah, oh, you sinned. And then his favor for a lifetime. 
Like that's the ratio of God's love to his, his judgment, his disappointment, right? He, his, and even then, his desire, what the disappointment comes from, is that he doesn't want us to be separated from him. He doesn't want us to be straying from him because he knows that life, true life, is only found when we are with him. And anything that comes between us and him is ultimately going to lead us to a place of, of death and disappointment and darkness. I've got one more movie clip for you, and hopefully Adobe won't interrupt this one. And this scene really illustrates, I think, the power of that. So we saw a confession without forgiveness, but here you're going to see the opposite. And this is from uh, the movie um, Dead Man Walking. Okay, this is from the 90s, Sean Penn. And Sean Penn is, he, uh, um, is guilty of, of rape and murder, and he did it. And he's, it's the day before he's going to be executed. And there's this woman, it's based on a true story, the nun played by Susan Sarandon, who's been ministering to him. And, and, but basically, she's been trying to lead him to a place where he will finally own up to what he's done, take responsibility. Because she knows that until he does, that he's not going to be able to experience forgiveness and, and have the hope of eternal life. And so in this moment is when we finally get to see this kind of breakthrough. Sort of quiet. Walter? Yeah. I killed him. statement. He says, it figures I'd have to die to find love. <clears throat> it's true. Because in confession, we're, we're dying. 
we're dying to ourselves, we're dying to our sinful nature, but in, in doing so, we find love, we find God's love. And in the movie, as the story is told, she's really kind of an agent of God's redeeming grace. Unless and until he was willing to take responsibility for what he did, it was like he was just going to be immune to that forgiveness. But having owned up to it, you see there's finally that breakthrough of mercy too. That's, that's the power of forgiveness. All right, fifth, <clears throat> the more concrete the confession, the better. Now, this kind of gets to Hans' question before. Like, you know, what about when you're just kind of have a generic idea of, of sinfulness? That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But just practically speaking, for you and me, for us to really be able to grow, the more concrete the confession, the better. And so we've got some doctors with us. So if somebody comes to you and they're like, I'm not feeling good. You know, like, what do you do with that? What, what, what question might you ask next? How are you not feeling good? How are you? It happens all the time. Yes. Yes. Not good. How? Well, it's this bone that's sticking out of my, oh my gosh. Yes. Um, it's usually not that clear, right? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> but uh, if you just have that generic sense of, I'm not right. Okay. Like, we can give you some generic help, too. The more concrete we're able to be, though, in confessing our, our sins and acknowledging our failures, the more concrete that God's forgiveness is we're able to speak to it, right? to really receive it to ourselves. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great Lutheran pastor and martyr, he says, mutual brotherly confession is given to us by God in order that we may be sure of divine forgiveness. But it's precisely for the sake of this certainty that confession should deal with concrete sins. We're not just sinners in the abstract, sinners in general, but we have sinned in specific ways. Being able to own up to those things, then we're able to hear God's word of forgiveness in a more concrete way. And since he got to this, he kind of alluded to it already, the fact that absolution, forgiveness, the ability to speak forgiveness to one another belongs to the priesthood, by which I mean, not like the priest or the guys who wear collars on Sunday, belongs to the royal priesthood, the priesthood of the baptized, belongs to all y'all who belong to Christ, you are able to speak this word of forgiveness to one another. You don't need to rely and depend on only a pastor to do it, but this is a gift that's given to all Christians. So look at John 20. It's where Jesus gives and institutes this gift. So John 20, this is on the first Easter Sunday, the day of resurrection. It says in verse 19, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. <laughs> it's okay. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. Here, this is what we call the, the office of the keys, the capacity to speak that forgiving, forgiving word, or when somebody is refusing forgiveness, to also speak into that and say, to lay down God's word of law and say, Listen, you are persisting in this unforgiveness and refusing to confess. Don't do it. It's like you're choking yourself off with the, the air that you need to breathe. 
confess so that you're able to, to breathe that, uh, that word of forgiveness. But this is a gift that's given to all of us as the body of Christ. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Why is it helpful? We always know that we can come before God in prayer, confess our sins. But how could it be helpful, do you think, to be able to actually confess to another person, to speak out loud to another person your sins, your failures, ways that you've transgressed God's law? How do you think that can be helpful? Or do you think, no, I don't ever want to do that? But assuming that you might do that at some point, what would be the benefit of that, do you think? Loving accountability. Okay, a kind of a loving accountability. Being able to have somebody else sort of keep you accountable to your walk with the Lord. Yeah. We treat others the way we want to be treated. Oh, good. If somebody does bad to you, sure. you want them to apologize. Sure, <laughs> right. And conversely, like if you... So you do bad so you to do somebody, the yep. you apologize because... Yeah, that's what you want them to do. So just golden rules kind of stuff. Good. Yeah, that's good. Other thoughts? Yeah, Jess. I think for some people, like speaking things out loud um, carries a level of truth or weight. Yeah. Right? It makes it more concrete yep. than, than living in the abstract of your head. Yeah, that's good. So it's like it's out there. It's more real, but that goes both ways. Like the sin becomes almost more real, the responsibility. But then conversely, the forgiveness does too. Yeah. Kind of just going along with this whole thing. I, <clears throat> yesterday, um, I'm not a very good driver, I confess. And, um, I was in Traverse City, and I got through the whole driving in Traverse City pretty well yesterday until I had a really stupid accident oh. in a um, parking lot. Yeah. And I have to admit, the first thing that went through my mind was, Okay, how can I explain this to my husband? <laughs> yes. It was, it was all my fault. No other car was involved but mine. Right. And I thought, okay, how can I explain this so I don't look so stupid? Right. And I mean, I did. And I was going through this thing like, how can I spin this? Yep. You know, which was the devil. And then I kind of came to my, and, and the whole side of my car, all three panels are now. Oh. A mess. Yeah. So I was like, okay, how can I spin this? Yeah. And then my senses came to me, and I knew I, <laughs> and I thought, I can't do this. I'll feel so guilty. Yeah. So it all, you know, but that was my first reaction. Yeah. Yes. I admit, and then I knew I couldn't do that, so I'm driving home, and I'm thinking, okay, I gotta be truthful. So then I, I stopped with my dog at the dog park, and I decided I'm going to text him that I had this little accident so he'd get a little warning before I got home. Yes. And then I thought he won't be so angry or he'll be used to the idea that I had this accident. Right. So I, so then he, he already, he just, he just texted me back and said, okay, I'm going to have to suspend your driver's license. <laughs> so then I knew that he wasn't going to be real angry with me, and I relaxed immediately. Mm. So he was forgiving me. Oh. You know, so I was like, oh, I love my husband. <laughs> but I mean, he could have reacted. Because yes. I have lots of accidents. And yeah. Had, I mean, I really do have. So... Anyway, I relaxed a lot, and I didn't have to spin it. And then I came in the house. I was still nervous. And he was more involved in the football game. <laughs> my, I mean, he did, I thought he was going to jump up and run out to the car. 
and he was more involved in his football game, and he didn't do that. And then <laughs> I relaxed some more, and then after the game, he said, well, I'd better go look at the damage. And I said, well, it's probably worse than you're thinking, because the door wasn't <laughs> open. Did you have to go in through the passenger door? I, no, no, okay. but I still, when I got out of the car, it has this awful noise. Yeah. And so it just went on and on, and he still didn't get very angry, and I just was like, thank you, Lord. Thank yes. You. And I was like, I am so thankful I didn't come up with the bad. I mean, yeah. I, I afterwards I was like, "Thank you, God, I didn't lie." Yeah. I mean, I could have lied. Sure. I had a good story. Hey, you had a, exactly. <laughs> I could have lied, but I didn't, and I thank God I didn't lie, and I thank God I had such a wonderful husband. Yeah. Because he really could have been angry. With sure. Me because it was a dumb accident, <laughs> and I'm not even going to say what I did. But, um, <laughs> You've it, confessed already. Thank you, Linda. Yeah, and, but it feels it felt good to confess yeah. the truth because it could have been a little lie that worked. Right. And I'm just saying, um, this whole thing has really meant a lot to me today because yeah. um, it makes a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. Well. No, and thank you for your honesty now. I mean, but, um, yeah, it's just to forgive one another. And he really could have been mad. Yes. It's going to cost us a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else been there though? Oh my word! It's so embarrassing. And it's so easy to lie. And it's so e- and it's so easy sometimes to lie. You're like, oh, I can make things so much easier on myself in the short term. Yeah, but, but I would have felt so. Good. You would have felt. Yep, exactly. So no, it's it's so true, and and kudos to Steve too, to because then when somebody does confess, then it is incumbent on you to forgive, right? And and to be an agent of mercy to one another rather than like dropping the hammer. I mean, this is what we're called to. And when you do, as you experienced with Steve, and I think Jess was kind of getting to this point, again from Bonhoeffer, he says, the Christ in my brother is stronger than the Christ in me. And what he means by that is, you know, I can hear that word of forgiveness, I can speak it to myself, you know, and and talking with the Lord in prayer, but to hear it concretely out of the mouth of, of a brother or sister in Christ, it has more power. It's like it's not, because we're always, that, the flip side of that ability to spin everything in ourselves is that we can also explain away any kind of forgiveness. Like, well, do I, am I really forgiven? Have I been you know, contrite enough? Or maybe I don't really deserve it. But instead, to be able just to hear from another, you're forgiven. Jesus died and rose again to bury your sins. Like, they're done. They're done. That has real power. Um, but too often, I think we don't, we don't take advantage of that. Well, because we're just afraid to confess, confess to one another, even to confess to the Lord. And so we have that authority and that um, power has been given to all of you as believers. But also, I will say, as a pastor, is that God has especially given you your pastor for this purpose also. So if you're like, I'm not so sure that I'm ready to, to confess to a, a, a fellow believer, like, you know, there's that accountability side, as Megan said, but maybe you're not quite there yet. Well, this is where you can, this is like pastor's job, right? Literally, it's in my ordination vows that to receive confessions from God's people. And then when they do, to post it on social media. You're not going to believe what I heard today from Hans. No, of course not. Uh, it goes into the vault. Like, it's done. I mean, that's, I literally can, um, if I get pulled before the court, like there's the, the confessional seal, unless it's, 
the kind of like mandatory reporter sort of thing. But if it's like, no, we think that Hans was, uh, well, I'm not going to get into it. But um, suffice it to say, right, you're like, is he going to spill my guts right here? No. Um, suffice it to say, you, if you confess, like it is, it's under the seal. It's forgiven. And for all practical purposes, it's forgotten. This is, this is my job. Yeah, Hans, you can. I was, I was just thinking of the Catholic Church, which they you know, confessionals on the side. Yep. People are just waiting to take your confession. Yeah. Whereas in the Lutheran Church, uh, it is, that's not there. That's not, yeah, that's are very rarely. Right. Um, and it's a little bit unfortunate. See, what we're thinking, where this was being abused, in particular at the time of the Reformation, but perhaps to some extent still today, it's kind of like what we saw in that first clip, where the guy confesses, and then the priest is like, no. Like, you need to do... Let's see how, how much penance you can do. Oh, you don't have any time for penance? Sorry, tough luck. Um, where it's the way that it's supposed to work and why even the Lutheran reformers con, uh, continued the practice of private confession and absolution. It's like the point is get it off your chest. And the pastor's job is not to give you penance that you need to do, but just to say you are forgiven. Like that ugly stuff that you just owned up to and admitted, it's forgiven. It's done. It's taken away. Um, if you've been in my study, you'll see that um, I have a little pray do, like a little kneeler, individual kneeler. Of course, it's where I, I pray throughout the day, but it's also a place where I can receive individual confessions and, and practice individual confession and absolution. I've done that too. You can come, and it's right there um, in the in the hymnal. There's actually um, a, a, a rite for individual confession and absolution. I don't. I should have brought it to us here, but. Um, oh, yeah, page 292 in the hymnal. <clears throat> and the point isn't to agonize over all the things you've done wrong. You don't even have to say the specific things. And actually, many times when somebody comes for the first time, I encourage them just the fact that you came is enough. Like We'll, we'll kind of build up to uh, there's specific things you want to say and that you're struggling with or whatever. Um, but even just to, to say it and to hear God's word of forgiveness spoken directly individually to you is really powerful. So that's always something that you can set up an appointment with me and come in. doesn't take a long time, but I, I'm, it's always an honor for me to be able to be a part of that. It's my job. This is what the pastor says. As a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I therefore forgive you all your sins. It's his authority, not mine. I, but he has delegated and deputized me to speak his word of forgiveness. There is a rule of thumb, a nice rule of thumb on this when it comes to the confession, especially private confession, personal confession. None must, some should, all may. If we said that all must, as this has been the case commonly within Roman Catholicism, then it becomes a law. It becomes just a legal obligation. It's like, all right, fine, I've got once a year, I need to go to confession at least, and immediately it's going to get abused or people are going to find ways to work around it. Nobody must. Some should. And why do you think it says some should? Who should? Who, I'm not saying specifically around the table here. Um, <laughs> but who should go to um, confession and absolution? Just off the top of your head, is there any kind of person or somebody who's in a particular situation or state? Somebody who is burdened with it, certainly. Good. Yes. So, yeah, can't believe forgiveness. They're, they've got something in their heart that's keeping from it. That's exactly right. 
So somebody for whom particular sin is really weighing on their heart. Something that they've, that they've done that is just, it's like a splinter in their soul. And if it doesn't get taken out, it's just going to become gangrene, right? It's just going to get worse and worse and infected. They should. They should. Um, and, I mean, that can be any of us at different times. But there are those folks who are particularly, like, there's something that they just can't let go. And they're just, like, dragging this baggage behind them. They should. But then finally, all may. I mean, that absolution, I mean, we call it private confession and absolution, but the emphasis is on the absolution, right? The point isn't, all right, let's see what kind of juicy stuff I can get from my parishioners. The point is the absolution, to be able to speak that freeing word of forgiveness, then it cuts that luggage, sets you free, that now you're able to go forth. Like, there is just, I've seen it time and time again, a lightness to the step of the one who has gotten that thing off their chest, and then is able to hear God's word of forgiveness spoken concretely, directly applied to you individually. It's like, oh, <sighs> okay. And I'd love to say that having done that once, that you're never going to be bothered by it again, but Satan's really good at, you know, keeping coming after us with these things. But now you have cut the legs right out from under him because his goal and his desire is always to keep you and me you know, putting our sins, like the way the kids clean their room, right? Just stuffing it all in the closet and pretending that it's not there. And then what Satan's really good at is just opening the closet and everything comes flooding out. And he's like, see, you're, you're not so clean after all, are you? There's a lot of churches that like confession isn't a very big part at all. Sure, right. Right. And, and I, I grew up around those and like you can see it like, you, you feel like that in those churches, I guess. Like, and I might not have realized it when I was there. Sure. But like, yeah, you're in a church and like, you feel that closet with bones in it. Right? Yeah. It's right over there about to dump open. That's right. And the thing is, we all have them. And so instead it becomes this game where we all pretend that we're all doing really good. Oh, yeah. And that we've all got it together. But I love the fact that it's right there. We just start out like, hey, glad to have you in worship today. I'm a poor, miserable sinner. And I mean, really the best comparable is really like AA, you know? Like in Alcoholics Anonymous, you show up and you say, hi, I'm Ryan and I'm a sinner. And everybody's like, hi, Ryan, you know? It, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's toxic without that. It is. Because like everybody's like, it becomes so hypocritical. Yes. And like, did you hear what this guy right. done or that person? Yeah. And, you know, and yeah, it, become, it becomes toxic. Become judges and right. And can it still happen? Sure, of course. But like, just having that be a regular part of the rhythm of the Christian life puts a constant check on you and me to recognize, no, wait a second. I have, I've sinned against God in thought, word, and deed by what I've done and what I've failed to do. If you're saying those words over and over and owning them, it, it really is a check on that kind of hypocrisy and judgmentalism because it, it's you saying, yep, I've got a closet too. You too? Yep, we all do, right? There's freedom in that. So that's the continued goal and desire, certainly for me as a pastor and for God's people to be able to own up to that stuff, have that kind of vulnerability, and then to really know God's word of forgiveness. Any other thoughts or reflections about that? Confession to another person, Versus confession to yourself. Sure. Uh, it's like, you know, pray to God, 
Please yep. forgive me. Right. Uh, you know, there's a difference in there. There is. Uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to describe that. Well, I, I think, yeah. Go ahead. That was part of it, like, being in those churches, like, we don't need to confess to a pastor. Sure. Because the Holy Spirit was given to us. Yeah. And that there's truth to that. Yes. But you're missing something. Yeah, so I mean, we, again, we can always confess to God. We don't need a mediator, and please don't hear me as saying, like, unless you come to the pastor, you're not a real Christian. Like, that's not the point. It's not that legal obligation. It's more that evangelical permission to say, you can do that. Like, you can come. That's what your pastor is here for. But you don't have to come to a pastor. You can go to others. You can go right to the Lord. But unquestionably, well, I put it this way, and I've experienced this in my own life. If I, if I feel like it's easier to pray and confess to God Almighty, the judge and Lord of all creation, than to my friend or neighbor, then maybe I'm not quite taking it as seriously as I ought. Could be that I am, but it may not be. It may be that I'm a little bit too blithe and not really thinking through like, oh yeah, I can confess to God. Because the reality is, whew, like Isaiah in the temple, when he sees that vision of God, he sees the Lord high and lifted up, and his reaction is not, oh, that was so easy. Uh, you know, way, way easier than going to my neighbor. No, Isaiah's saying, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. He has seen God aright. He has that kind of fear of God. Right? Um, I think we, we probably need a little bit more of that. We could all use a little bit more of the fear of God in that respect. Not that we should be afraid of God, but to recognize, you know what? He is holy. I am not, right? Um, and in that sense, being able to confess to a brother or sister should really be even easier, I think. But there's something about that kind of just really saying it aloud and saying it to another person. We have that immediate kind of reaction and feedback. If we were seeing the Lord right before us the way Isaiah was, undoubtedly we would have that same response. Um, so, but I think part of it is just takes practice too. Does, um, does the Catholic uh, Church um, require confession? Because mm -hmm. oh, my son, um, we... He went to a Catholic high school, um, and I like I into it like three weeks. He came home and he said, "You have to call me in sick tomorrow." <laughs> and I was like, here we go, you know, because he wasn't happy about the whole thing. Yeah. And I said, "Why?" And he said, "Because tomorrow we start confession." <laughs> and I said, "You don't have to do it. You're Lutheran." Yeah. And I called the school, and they said, "No, the the." Kids that are not Catholic sit on the bleachers and do homework. And the Catholic <laughs> students have to take... Probably a lot of Lutherans have been made through this whole process. <laughs> so, anyway, the Catholic students, I guess every week had to um, go through confession. Yeah. I mean, it was required. Yeah. So I didn't know if that was just... No, my understanding is that still, to be a Catholic in good standing and to be receiving the Eucharist, that you need to um, participate in the sacrament of, of penance, of confessing and then penance at least once a year. That's my understanding. Once a year. Yeah. I have lots of Catholic friends, and I'm thinking, well, when did they go to confession? Right. I wonder... It's not, I mean, there's a lot of priests that are, you know, sitting in empty confessional booths for a long time. I mean, that, yeah. Because people don't want to, and... And because it has been treated as an obligation rather than an opportunity, right? It's become a matter of law rather than of grace. And what we've talked about today is that this really should be first and foremost 
a gift to be able to hear forgiveness, to have that freedom of getting it out of getting it out. Um, spent a little bit more time than I was, was planning to today with with confession and absolution, but I think that's worthwhile. Um, well, I want to stop there, and maybe next week we'll, I'll share a little bit about some of the other parts of uh, of that first movement of the liturgy with singing and offering and praying and so forth. But any last thoughts on just confession and absolution? Just think it's such a liberating gift to be able to confess our sins, to hear God's word of forgiveness. It does seem strange to people who are coming out or they're visiting, if they are coming from a different kind of branch of Christendom of, or no church, it's like, wow, the first thing you guys do is say <laughs> you've failed. God, that doesn't seem like a great start. But when you recognize, no, we're able to do it, because we know that we have that forgiveness in Jesus. You see the real power in it. So, good. can I pray for you guys? We'll send you out. Lord, thank you for your forgiving grace given to us in your son, Jesus. The absolution that we have through him. And thank you on this Reformation Sunday when we remember how your church grasped uh, afresh the forgiveness that we have and that nothing can separate us from your love. Send us this week, Lord, in that power so that we might know that no matter how much we sin, uh, that nothing will keep us from you. Help us to hear that word new each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, thanks guys.